Hi everyone, welcome to Built with VAs. I'm your host Valentina Brega and I can't wait for you to meet my guest for this episode. This entrepreneur is gonna blow your mind. He's a successful real estate investor. He's also a very good sales coach and I love the strategies. I love his thinking about sales. If you're not implementing these sales strategies, you're missing out a lot in your business. In fact, his sales strategies is helping him consistently generate six figures every single month consistently. I can't wait to dive more into his secrets, what he's doing, and how he's leveraging the time and skill set of international virtual assistants. I want to find out more about his team, the, the tasks he's delegating, and how he's so successful. Let's dive right into this together. It's gonna be awesome. Welcome to Built with VAs. I am so excited to introduce to you today John Lalande. He is an awesome friend of mine. I work with him, great sales coach, entrepreneur, work with virtual assistant, work with a lot of uh, people here domestically and internationally. He's going to add a ton of value in today's call. So welcome, John. So good to have you here. I am excited to be here, Val. What did I miss in this presentation? Tell us more about what you do and who you are. Long story short, I come from a military special operations background. I got out of the military, learned about wholesaling. So I basically tried and failed for like eight months. I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, I was sending out my own text messages. I was calling 10 to 20 people every single day and I was spending thousands of dollars a month on marketing. Uh, for the first eight months, I didn't close a single deal, spent all of my money on marketing and then eventually like had enough just to start over. And so I, I, I ended up closing one deal gave me enough to start over, basically repeated the same process. And then through like, well, a lot of masterminds and networking with other people, kind of figuring out what I was doing wrong, which ultimately resulted in like the way that I was having conversations with the people, I, I started to figure out some ways. And, and now I'm at the point to where I've scaled my business to doing about six figures a month consistently. And, um, I teach other people sales processes and how to kind of do the same thing. This is amazing. I, I met you, when was that? Two years ago, three years ago? Yeah, probably about three years ago and, se and seven figure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we were part of the same mastermind and I remember uh, seeing you talking to you, but I really got to know you better when we worked together. You hired a virtual assistant from us. Uh, that was uh, two years ago. If Was that two years ago? Something yeah, around yeah. the time? Probably just about two years ago. Yeah, and I think that person, what, what you liked about him, because I know you have someone else right now, but what you liked about the person you originally had was, what was it? The, the, also the, the sales, like the way he built rapport, the, what was the position you hired him for and what attracted you to him? Yeah, that blew my mind because before that, I was really hesitant. I thought VAs were limited. Like I thought they were really limited on what they could do. So I started to just do, I was doing everything myself for a while. And so when I hired my first VA, I hired him through onlinejobs.ph and everything. Like I'd, I remember speaking to you about this uh, at the event where I was like, Val, every single one that I hire, like nobody works. Like they, I, I keep catching them, not doing any work for, for weeks at a time. Um, and then they all had like these really thick accents. So um, that was what I dealt with for probably a year and a half, maybe two years before we met. And uh, when I remember I was Frank, when we hired, when we hired Frank, I was like, this guy actually shows up and he's doing his job. And I'm not even having to like, I used to have this rule where I had to, I'd message them and they had to respond within 15 minutes so I could make sure they were actually in front of their computer and not like sleeping. Um, I was like, I don't have to do that anymore. And, uh, he was actually from Los Angeles and then he, you know, moved to Nicaragua, 
Um, so his accent, you know, he sounded like he was from LA. And so that was like where things started changing for me with VAs, where I, I really understood that it's not just about like, you can actually find these people and they can help you scale your business. And so that was like the introduction for me. You know, he was with me for probably about two years. And just as the tempo of the company grew, we kind of outgrew him. And then we, and then we met, uh, you know, the next one that, that I ended up hiring from you. But yeah, that was like the big light bulb that went off where I was like, okay, wow, this can actually work. And I don't have to go through onlinejobs.ph and, and hire people that really like don't have any criteria. Mm -hmm. what, what were the first tasks that you wanted to take off your plate? What was hindering your growth? The marketing. So as I mentioned, when I started, so when I started out, I was using a, a SMS platform. And I was, like I said, sending 500 texts every day. I was having 10 to 20 conversations. Um, and I was in full time in the military too, uh, like getting out. So it was like, it was a lot of work. And so the marketing, getting that off my plate and, and the outbound, like the outbound reach, getting that off my plate was huge because then I could just have conversations with people that actually wanted to talk to me instead of talking to 10, 20 people every single day that are telling not interested F you cursing me out. Right. <laughs> um, what do you want to offer all these things? So being able to do the, to offload that was huge because that actually allowed me to stay in my genius zone, which was, which was sales. I was learning the sales process and, and ultimately led me to, to kind of like what I'm doing now. And then you ended up hiring someone. I mean, you hired someone else from us, uh, Eva, right? What was the, yeah, yeah. As, as the business grew? So your, um, tasks maybe you had different tasks but why did you feel the need to bring some someone else on board and what other responsibilities did you delegate yeah so and then that was kind of like i spoke about you know bringing on someone from nicaragua as like level one that was like the first light bulb click where i was like okay these people can can do the job and they can do it well but i always i still thought of it as just tasks hey, i can give you a task and you'll complete it right if i give you a task You'll complete the task and then I'll just give you another one. But then when I met Eva and I hired Eva through you, that was kind of where I realized they can scale the business as well. So the cool thing about her, I was looking for someone that already had some experience. So I didn't have to do the training as much. And she did. She had actually worked for a company where she built out all their systems throughout call tools. So she built out their cold calling systems and she was, she was familiar with list stacking. She was familiar with the data, uh, importing data. So I didn't have to do any of that. And it was cool because at that time I didn't have cold calling already set up. I was only doing SMS. So she actually opened up the call tools account, set it all up, set up all the call flows, imported the data and then just started rocking. So it was like, Hey, here's like what you need to do. And then leads started coming in. So that was the first time where I actually handed something off and then she built out systems to scale the business. So we did that. Um, she was generating leads. We did that for about two years. I mean, she probably generated just with those leads of uh, $50,000, $60,000 in revenue. Um, and you know, she, it wasn't extremely expensive to have her do that compared to if I had somebody in, in the US, right? So. That was how it started. Um, fast forward though, she, she really picked up on, she was always hungry to learn. So she picked up on some of the sales training that I was, I was learning and she asked me for more responsibility. So I promoted her to lead manager and she was doing lead management for a while, booking appointments. And so now she runs the entire lead management department. So she's doing systems. She does drip campaign. She does everything from the time a lead's created to the time it actually gets in front of a home buying specialist to get an offer and even the follow-up, 
she does everything in between. So she's worked her way up and I was really surprised. Um, I really like the, like, especially the Egyptian culture. They, they do really well with people in the U S and they, it's, you know, they don't have like the strong accent. So I think they're, they're really good with sales. That, that was a huge cha- game changer for me. Yeah. I, I have people from Egypt on my team as well. And they have very good work ethic, very respectful, just, just go getters. And the, the story you mentioned about Eva right now just kind of reminds me of my story. That's how I started out, you know, just building out everything. I had no previous experience. Now, Eva is miles ahead of where I was when I started out. I had no previous experience. I was thrown to the wolves, like figure it out. But this is what made me probably much stronger in the end because I was so hungry to prove myself and to show what I can do. And uh, just everything you mentioned about Eva just re- resonated with me as well. Like I was asking for more tasks. I wanted to be, I was very quickly promoted to lead manager and then, you know, more. So it's um, it, it's really exciting to see the, the things that uh, virtual assistants can take off your plate and, and do being on the other side of the world. And a lot of people just won't give them the task. And I think that's what holds them back is the, they just won't give them the task because they don't think that they will do a good job. So, you know, someone like a, one of the VAs will ask, hey, can I have more responsibility? Can I do this? And they'll say no. Like that's they're They don't offload it to them because they don't think that they'll be able to figure it out. But my theory is I always just push them a little bit. Like if I don't think that they're going to be able to do it, I give it to them anyway. And I'm just like, hey, you have to go figure this out. And if they do it, okay, great. Now that's your new responsibility. And if they don't, we're right back to where we started. It's usually not a lot off my plate. I won't give them anything that you know will ruin revenue or anything. So that's been my experience. And right now my Director of marketing is a virtual assistant. My uh, lead management department's virtual assistants, uh, ran by virtual assistants. Um, and then we have a virtual assistant for dispositions as well um, as a dispositions assistant that lists our properties on the MLS and does all of that. That's awesome. I like the fact that you mentioned the word responsibility so many times. And this is one thing that I'm trying to uh, uh, talk to people as well. It's don't just delegate tasks because then you'll always be uh, looking for tasks to delegate. Okay, you're done with cold calling. Now you can do this. So you're not taking things off your plate. You're actually going to use a lot of mental energy to come up with tasks to keep your good people busy. So instead, focus on delegating responsibilities. And you mentioned that a couple of times, and this is part on. Like, this is your responsibility. Figure it out. You're responsible for what's happening in this department. And you'll be surprised how much further your virtual assistants can take your tasks or or responsibilities, right? And that's what I do in my company as well. I have a virtual assistant who is the head of the fulfillment department. I am not doing anything in that department anymore. And she is just, she comes up with ideas that are way better than I could have come up with. Like this is her responsibility and I trust her with this. And she surprises me every single time with the new ideas, with, I have a question, she knows it. So because my business needs me to be in a different capacity than being in, in that department. It's the limiting belief that restricts leaders from being built. So if you just get rid of the limiting belief that they can't actually do it, then you'll actually start building leaders. And so that's what people need to start doing. For example, just today, my marketing manager, I'm having him start an entirely new marketing channel and he doesn't know what to do necessarily so far. And he sent me a screenshot of some data that he's buying. Instead of even looking at what it is, I just said, Hey, I trust you. Go figure it out. And then let's look at it at the end of the month. Right. And he's, he loves that responsibility when I give it to him and he always ends up doing a better job than if I were to 
like you said, use your brain, to, like your brain power to start figuring out. Now I have to jump into what I'm doing. And that, that really restricts me from being able to do the things that I want to do, which is grow the business because I'm always figuring out, okay, I'm micromanaging and I'm trying to look at what task I need to delegate. Never ends up working out. Just completely give it to them. Let them run with it. If they, and they either will you know, meet your expectations or they won't, as long as you give them clear guidance. True. Give them cl- clear guidance, understand what it is, what does success look like? What are, what KPIs they need to be hitting? What metrics look like? So if you can define success for your virtual assistant, at the end of the day, everybody wants to be successful. I can't imagine a, a person going into st- clocking in at work saying, man, I can't wait to be mediocre today, or I can't wait to fail today. Nobody has this kind of thoughts, you know? Everybody wants to, you get so much more enjoyment when you're bringing value when you're uh, successful in what you're doing. So if you can define that, it's going to help your virtual assistants tremendously. Yeah, very good. Definitely. And sometimes it's just the key results that you're after. So, you know, maybe it starts out as tasks and then it, and then it goes to responsibilities and then it goes to key results. So that's where I'm at now with my team where my marketing manager, it's, hey, we need to be converting. Like this is the cost per lead. Our key result is getting our cost per lead down. This is the cost per lead that I that I want you to hit. You figure out how to get us there. And then they they have clear guidance on like you said what success looks like. So if we're under $350 cost per lead, that marketing manager did their job well. If we hit a 4x return on ad spend, they did their their job well. So, I love that. Are you using virtual assistants for sales roles as well? Yeah, so the whole as far as lead management, yes. Um so lead management, booking appointments, everything like that. They're, they're on hundred percent doing that. Uh, and they do it really, really well. And so I do have them booking appointments. They'll do follow up. They'll do all of that. I don't have them giving offers quite yet. Mm-hmm. I have toyed around with that idea. We're in a really competitive high price market. So they're very sophisticated sellers. It's people that most the houses that we buy are over $800,000, which you know, they're just different types of sellers. Um, so I haven't experiment, I haven't experimented with it yet, but I think one day I will, one day I will give someone the opportunity to be able to do it, but they're definitely doing sales roles. And you also have to have pretty good knowledge of the local market. And, uh, it's not just a, a linguistic ability. It's also knowledge of the market. I know companies that um, use virtual assistants to close deals, but I also, but, but those people didn't start as acquisitions. They started working as cold callers or lead follow up, or once they understood the nuances and everything that market has to, what zip codes are better than others and what is your avatar. And then they really crushed it in the acquisition role. If you just hire someone straight into acquisition without any knowledge of the market, it's, um, it's tougher. I don't want to say impossible, but it's definitely tougher. Definitely. Yeah. And I would say more so when you, when you work with people, like from what I've noticed, South Americans, their culture transfers over to our culture pretty well. Um, I don't ever, I mean, I could, this could be a limiting belief, but people from Asia, they have a harder time relating to people. They don't get the same humor, uh, but they do really good with tasks, right? Or like Excel sheets and, and marketing and stuff like that. So, and even the Egyptians, for some reason, they've been able to, to transfer over really well. They kind of get the culture. They have the same humor for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but they, they kind of have like some of the same humor. They, they understand sarcasm. Um, where, you know, some cultures don't. And so I think that's important when you're looking. 
You know, like it's important to, to be able to understand that. Speaking of of sales and how you use virtual assistant, and I love talking about sales. I could talk about this all day. I, I know you are passionate about this too, man. The sales strategies, sales techniques, uh, human behavior 101. It's not really sales. It's just really human behavior 101. That's basically what it is, right? Understanding that. Do you feel like there's a, a difference between people who are overseas and um uh, I mean, you kind of answer that because a lot of this transfers over, but w- what is your um, experience with uh, just sales, just pure sales from virtual assistants and domestic people? Are you born with it? Is it trainable? What is it? Well, you're definitely not born with it. From what I've seen, the people that think that they're naturally good at sales end up being the worst. And so I thought I was naturally good at sales when I started. And like I said, for the first eight months, I was doing all of the right activities, right? I was doing the text messaging. I was in the marketing. I was talking to 10, 20 people every single day, but I went eight months without closing a deal. And I was like, oh, I'm good at sales. I can sell anybody anything. That's at least what I thought. But what I realized is I was working against human behavior and I was causing a lot of resistance up front because I was using like high pressure sales techniques and a lot of people think that they're good and that's what they're actually doing. So I think it's even better when someone doesn't really know that they're good at sales. Like they, they don't know a process and then you can give them a sales process where they can follow, not necessarily a script, but a sales process. And with the right sales process, anybody can be good at sales. No matter if you're from a different country, if you're from the US, I think, you know, understanding the market will help you. But you don't need to understand the market if you follow the sales process properly. Because what do we do? We help people that are looking to sell their properties either fast or some way without selling it on the market, right? Mm -hmm. A virtual assistant can get that information just as well as someone from the US, as long as they're trained on the right sales process. But that's what it all comes down to is being trained on the right sales process, saying the right things that aren't triggering resistance. And even you know if you have an accent or not, if you're saying the right things that aren't triggering resistance, you're going to get to the to the problem that these sellers are dealing with and you're going to be able to figure out how you can help them. But it's when people start getting wrapped up in, for example, going into the condition of the property right away or asking questions like right off the bat, why do you want to sell the property? Are you using words like motivated, words that are going to trigger resistance and people are going to hang up. They're going to, they're going to not really want to speak to that person. They're going to try to get off the phone. So absolutely, you can train it. And honestly, in my opinion, it's even better if they don't have a ton of sales experience because the sales training that they've probably gotten will end up hurting them more than it will help them. That's true. I actually train virtual assistants, uh, the ones that are hired, I train them because, and, and you would think that you see 10 years of experience. I mean, they, they do have knowledge about it, but when we role play, when we train them, I understand just how, I understand why people hang up on you. Like I said, Hey, when people hang up on you, when they are short with you, if they sigh, uh, you are triggering that. It's all because of you. ABC always be closing doesn't work anymore. This is old school. You should be disarming the prospects. Let their guard down. Like just, just you know. Like, I mean, how would you feel if if someone called you and and there's a like in the introduction, in the first four seconds, you're already creating resistance. When people pick up the phone and they hear hello, it's a number they don't know, it's a name they don't recognize, or you say the name, you say the name of the company, guard is up. And if you say how are you, 
that's another thing. Like, you, you don't care how I am. Like, what was this about? Get to the point. What are you calling me? Exactly. A hundred percent. In one second, there's a million thoughts that are going through the seller's mind. Who are you? I didn't ask to be called. You're probably a telemarketer. You're interrupting my day. You're going to sell me something. You're going to buy something from me. There's a, a million thoughts in the seller's mind in this one second, millisecond from hello, you, you know? So once I, I tell the virtual assistants, get, let their guard down. Sound natural. Don't sound overly sweet on the phone because if you're overly sweet on the phone, it's kind of like I use the example with my kids. If I see my daughter coming to me and she's overly sweet, I'm like, hey, mommy, like, okay, what did you do or what do you need? You know, <laughs> this is a relic. What, yeah, what happened? You know? <laughs> Yeah, that's so good. I love that you said the word disarm because realistically, that's what your job is. And the first seven to 15 seconds of the call, like we went back and started looking at how long does it take a seller to realize that it's a sales call? It's usually within the first seven seconds, which is before they even have a chance to speak. And so if you ask questions, how are you? You start trying to build surface level rapport. People see through that and they get really frustrated. They're like, okay, this is a salesperson. And then it immediately switches to what do you want? What questions do you have? They take control over the conversation and it's really hard to gain it back. Whereas if you go in really neutral and you're slow with your tone and you don't sound overly excited, you don't sound like you're like this excited salesperson trying to trying to sell them something, trying to win them over and make them like you, then you're going to have more luck figuring out how you can actually help them and if they even are looking to sell a property. And so the word disarm, I love that word of being able to disarm them because the second they see that that call, it's a, it's a number they don't know and they, hey Val, immediately they're going to have resistance up. So your job in the first... And the first stage of the call is to just disarm them and break that and then increase your status, which can be harder to do when you have an accent. It's even a bigger a bigger hurdle that you need to overcome, but it's 100% doable. I have an accent. I, I know I, I'll probably never get rid of my accent, <laughs> but it's, it's never been an, an, an impediment. It's, it's, it's how you connect with people. It's how you understand what they're going through and just, just connect human to human. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like, imagine if a friend came to you, if, if, if your relative came to you and told you about the problem and they told you my house is completely destroyed, uh, you want to empathize. You're going to empathize with that person. Say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You're not going to ask. So tell me about the roof. Right. Because I hear that a lot. So well, how, when did you last replace the roof? It's simple, right? The logic of it is so simple. Just connect human to human. Just imagine you have a friend or, or a person that you know in front of you going through this tough situations. Yeah. A couple of ways to do that too, like right at the beginning of the call is just stay away from words that sound aggressive. Like if you're, instead of saying, you know, words like sell the property fast using, uh, you know, like one of the things that people teach in my in this industry that kills their ability to sell is they use the word cash offer in the first five seconds. Hey, it looks like you requested a cash offer online and are I'm just calling to give you a cash offer for your property. Or I wanted to see if you were interested in a cash offer. When you use the word I wanted to see, I wanted to see if you were interested in a cash offer. First of all, it makes it about you. So you're calling because you want something. And so you wanted to see if they are interested. And so now they're like, okay, well, they have as the seller, you're thinking, I have something that they want, right? And they're interested in something that I have, which is not the frame that you're already starting on the wrong foot. 
You're already starting from the wrong frame. And so, and then using the word cash offer immediately sounds like you're selling some. So when you go in super neutral, especially let's say the lead came into you instead of saying, Hey, I was, I was calling to see if you're still interested in a cash offer. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like you had requested information online in regards to looking for possible ways to move on from the property. Right. And it's just very neutral. It looks like you're, you're looking for some possible ways to move on from the property. That's so neutral. It doesn't sound like you're selling anything anymore. And so that will open them up. Yeah. It looks like you're, you're, you're okay with them having options and you tell them it looks like you're possible, right? Like I might be one option you're looking at. You're not showing that you're the only option and everyone else is bad because that's just poor taste, but also very desperate and sellers feel desperation on the phone. And if you're sounding desperate, you, you're losing the, the lead, right? So just. Like, like what, kind of like what you said, like showing them like the option you possibly might be looking into this. How do you, how do you go about that with the options? So exactly like that. Yeah. So it looks like you might be looking at some possible options because when you have options and you're asking questions, people are more likely to actually give you the information that you need. So that way you can, you can help them appropriately. And especially as home buyers, right? Like we buy houses. We have options for them. It's not like we just do everything is a 15 day close and, you know, this is the price that you're going to get and there's nothing else we can do to help you. If that was the case, we wouldn't have options, but we do. We have tons of different options of how we might be able to help them. Now, if we went in and said, Hey, it looked like you were looking for a fast way to sell your house cash online without listing with a realtor. And we made a bunch of assumptions right off the bat. The first thing they're going to say is, I'm not, well, I'm not in a rush. I'm not motivated. I don't need to sell, right? They're, they're going to tell you all of the reasons why they don't need you. And so that immediately, cause they're, they have resistance up, right? They don't want to feel like they're a motivated seller. However, when we use the word options, these possible ways to move on, it's kind of hard to deny that, right? It's hard to deny that you are online looking for possible options to move on from the property. So they're going to say, yes. I was looking at some ways to, to possibly move on from the property. There's no denying it. So automatically they had just told you that they are looking for what you do. Whereas if you go in too hard and they say, well, I don't need to sell. We get that sometimes. Like, you know, if you don't, if you don't deliver the, the first part of the process correctly, you're going to get, well, I don't need to sell. Hey, I'm not motivated. Like, and we never said they were motivated, but our tone did. And so that causes resistance right off the bat. It's a lot of reading th- between the lines. It's, 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 what are some of the signs that you, uh, I, I don't know if you, you probably listen to a ton of calls. I know you do sales coaching too. Uh, and people tell you the problem. I know I listen to a lot of calls as well from virtual assistants. And I can usually tell like the, the trigger words, the signs, uh, when I know how the call is going to end, usually in the first, I don't know, 10 seconds, right? Unless they, twist it around. If you don't build that credibility, if you don't establish yourself as an expert or as an authority on the phone, then most likely that's not going to be a sale for you. What are some of the things you look at when you look at calls, like some triggers, some signs? Um, as far as like things that the that the salesperson is doing incorrectly or things that you hear from the, from the actual seller? What do you hear from the seller? Because sometimes the salesperson on the phone is not aware of that. They're so focused on the script that they don't understand what to look for. But uh, I, I usually, I'm trying to train uh, my virtual assistants with like, if you hear this, there should be like a ding, ding, ding in your mind or like an, an, an alarm, uh, alarm bells. Like, okay, you, you're losing the lead. So what, what is something that the seller is saying on the phone 
to indicate you losing them. So the number one phrase that I hate hearing on my sales calls it, from my team, from anybody is I told you or I already told you. Mm-hmm. So that phrase right there means that you're not listening. So the number one way that you can improve your sales immediately is just listen. Just listen to what the prospect is saying, what the seller is saying, because they're telling you information on how you can help them. And you, and the better you can listen, the better questions you can ask. But when you hear the phrase, I already told you, that means that you didn't listen. So that's, that's number one. Number two is, well, I'm not, I don't need to sell or, um, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm going to give the property away. That's typically triggered because people don't just say that out of nowhere. Now, what I will say is with that phrase specifically, that could either be triggered by you. If you're the first person to speak to the seller, it was triggered by you. It could also be triggered by somebody else that they spoke to. Because as we know, when people fill out forms online or they get, you know, text, they speak to a lot of bad salespeople. So the difficult part about our industry is a lot of times we have to unwind some of the things that past companies have done that have terrible sales training. They've already built up. The seller has so much resistance before they even speak to us because they've gotten hammered by people that don't know what they're doing and are asking really dumb questions that just don't even make sense. So when you hear them say, well, I don't need to sell or I'm not motivated or I'm not going to give the property away. Usually we've never suggested that they are motivated to sell or they do need to sell or that they are going to give the property away. So those are phrases that I, whenever I hear them, like I tell my team, Hey, this, I want to, I want to go back and diagnose where this came from. Was it your tone? Did you ask a question that sounds like you're probing for motivation or did you sound genuinely curious about what's going on in their situation? Because a lot of people will just go down a line and list you know, how fast do you need to sell the property. That question makes it sound like you're looking for motivation, like you're looking for a reason that they need to sell. And so when you ask that question, of course, you're going to get, well, I don't need to sell. I, I don't need to sell fast. I'm not motivated to sell the property. It, whether they are, whether they aren't, they're going to respond with that. And so people don't know if it's a good lead or not because they're asking the wrong questions. That's what I've noticed. Those are like really like three of the of the big ones that I look for. This is this is gold. This is so important. And I can't tell you how many times like everybody sounds the same on the phone. Everybody. If if they don't have the right training, everybody I mean, I can tell you that they're reading from the script. I can tell you what script they have. So that I can tell you the flow of the script, the condition, the motivation. Kind of like what else do they do? Like they put together all of the advantages. They bundle all of the advantages together. Hey, we're going to do this for you. We're going to sell cash. We do this. We do that. We, we take care of the closing fees. Maybe that person doesn't need it. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like going to the doctor. I like to make this analogy. And the doctor says, I'm going to give you something for the headache, for the toothache, for this, for that. And like, I just have a headache. That's it. You know, like, why do you need to bundle everything? It's so scripted and it's so overwhelming to the seller as well. They don't retain that information at all. They're going to forget about this, you know, in two seconds after. I love the doctor analogy because if if you can really be that doctor or the, the doctor of the sales process, so to speak, you can you can figure out not only what their pain point is, but where exactly it's coming from and how you can help them. So I use this analogy. If you just went to a doctor and you said, Hey doc, I have back pain. And they said, okay, well, we're going to put you in the surgery and the surgery's, you know, $20,000. 
the first thing you're going to do is you're going to want to go get a bunch of other recommendations, quotes. You're going to want to go see more doctors because this person didn't even listen to you. How are they going to know how to solve your problems? They didn't even listen to what you have going on. But a, but a good doctor will ask you, okay, where exactly is the back pain? And then with that back pain, is that, are you having any other symptoms? Like, is it going down your leg? Is, you know, is it a pinched nerve? Is it a kidney stone? Like, what is it? What else have you tried to do so far to fix this back pain before we go into surgery? And then when you, when you tell them, Hey, doc, I've been having this back pain for years. I've tried everything. I've tried physical therapy. It didn't work. I've tried all of these other things. Then they recommend a $20,000 surgery. You're much more likely to go jump into that $20,000 surgery knowing that this doctor properly diagnosed you. And it's the same thing when we're speaking to our sellers. They say, Hey, you know, I, I need some money because I, I have a business that I need some reserves for. And you can really get to understand, okay, well, what else are you looking for from us? Like what happens if you don't get the money? Are you going to lose the business? And then, and then do you like, do you already have a place lined up to where you would go? Do you need, do you need help with getting that next place? Do you need um, some extra time to stay in the property? Asking them how we can best help them. That way, when we give them a price that maybe, I don't know, isn't as high as they were expecting, they're much more likely to take it because you listen to their problem. You fully understand their problem and you fully understand how you can help them. And then you've given them exactly what they need. So like, man, do I really want to go through this process, explain this to three other companies and then have a bunch of people that aren't really going to hear me out? They're not going to understand how they can help me. Or do I just take this person that already understands my scenario? Sure, it's not as much money, but they can help me get exactly what I need and they understand the importance of it. And so I love the doctor analogy. I think it's gold. Yeah, exactly. And money is not the main motivator. A lot of the times it is, but it's not the only motivator for for the seller. And if you if you go into the call thinking that your offer is not going to be good enough, or if you hear phrases like "I'm not going to give it away," you already think that the money is the only pressing motivator. Um, you're not going to equip yourself to ask the right questions to really understand what's going on in that person's life. And I know we saved a bunch of deals when I was working for wholesaling company. We saved a bunch of deals just because we listened to what's going on in their life and we solved other problems, okay? That's why they chose us. Exactly. And, and it's it's a really, it's a mistake that a lot of people make is thinking that price is the only thing that matters. Because if price was the only thing that matters, there wouldn't be any investment companies that buy properties off market everybody would just list on the market and take the normal three to six months and, and do that whole process. But there are people that do have, they have other things that are more important, right? Maybe they need the money quick. Maybe they need no showings. Maybe they need 60 days to live in the property after like they, they want the flexibility and money's not that important to them. And so the only way to know for sure is to actually be able to talk to people below, you know, not just surface level, but be able to ask the right questions to where you can figure out their scenarios specifically, and then you can figure out how to help them. So love. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think sales is manipulation and it's not. It's really not. Like the, a good salesperson would not manipulate and doesn't have the intention to. A good salesperson understands I can help you if, if, if I can, I will. 
if you if you want me to if you don't need my help i'm not going to convince you to i'm not going to convince you that you need that right so it is much more genuine than people give it credit for and sales is you you can apply not just in real estate investors in any areas of your life and anything you do if you don't master sales if you don't know sales i don't know you you're, you're missing out you're losing out it's such an important critical part of life it is and my definition is a little bit different than others my definition is getting people to do what's in their best interest by asking thought-provoking questions. And so if it's not in their best interest, I'm not going to try to get them to do it. Why would I do that? Right? Like there's plenty of money in the world. I don't need to go screw people over. And that certainly wouldn't come back to me. But a lot of times I like I had this limiting belief starting out that if I wasn't getting them the most money, that it wasn't in their best interest. But sometimes people just need like they need someone to help them along the process to start a new phase of their life. And I've had sellers where I've bought their property and I've made sixty thousand dollars and they've still called me and thanked me after and said, hey, thank you for pushing me over. I was actually able to to start over. I was able to start a new life. I was able to get whatever it was that they needed. And it helped them. It helped them a lot. It wasn't the money that was important. They needed somebody that can listen to their situation, listen to what they have going on and help them through it. Be that advisor that can get them and get them that fresh start that they actually need. And so when that started happening, that was when I immediately you know, I started getting better at sales because I realized, hey, I am helping people. And when you believe it, it becomes true. I have a question for you, and I usually ask this um, uh, towards the end, you know, but I think this is such a good point, place to ask here. You know sales, you know what you're talking about. I think a lot of people who are going to listen to this will resonate with this. How can people get in touch with you? How can they find you? Uh, and I know you have a free coaching as well, right? So tell us a little bit about that. As of right now, I'm doing a call for free every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific time in my Facebook group. If you just look up sales coaching for real estate investors, it's the easiest way to find it. Um, and so I just, I go through the process. I, I teach NABQ to kind of help people stop um, going into those old habits of triggering sellers. <laughs> and then um, if you just look up John Lalonde 22 on Instagram, yeah, you know, I have some free content where I do reels. It's all around sales training. I mean, that's really what I focus on is, you know, helping people improve not only their tonality, but their process. So that way they can get to the real reason why people are reaching out and, and start helping people. Yeah, I will make sure to leave the links uh, and, and your Instagram account here available so people can can find it. Now, I know how you feel about scripts. You, you pretty much mentioned this. If you follow the script verbatim, you're missing out on a lot of opportunities to actively listen. How do you feel about objection handling? Do you think that salespeople or a virtual assistant, do they need to have the answer right away for the objection? Uh, or is there also a lot of free flow as it, there is for with the script? So it's funny because I don't actually have necessarily like, hey, if they give you this objection, you give this back. It's an objection handling framework. Just like the rest of the process, it's a framework to follow, not a script. And so... The number one thing, so I like to put this into context, I interview maybe two salespeople every single day. Like I'm constantly interview interviewing 10 to 15 salespeople a week for my team and I role play with all of them. And the number one mistake I see these people make is when I give them a, an objection, they immediately assume it's the price and they start increasing the price, right? So kind of like we were, we were speaking about earlier. So when we're role playing, and I say, yeah, I just have to think about it. They'll say, okay, well, what if I gave you more money? I was like, oh no, I still have to think about it. 
Like, well, what if I came up more? <laughs> and so instead of having a, and like one objection handler, it's, you need to first, you need to identify what the real objection is. And so what I teach is the first thing you need to do is acknowledge. Yeah, I certainly understand that you would need to think about it and then disarm, like you said, disarm them. And that's not a problem at all. I would probably need to think about it as well. It's a really big decision. When you do that, they are able to relieve, they're, they're able to breathe, right? They're like, okay, I'm not talking. This, this person's not going to push back and, and try to get me to sign a contract today or sign an agreement today. So let's say they, they want to think about it, right? What we'll do is we'll just book another call. Hey, let's, let's put a time on the calendar where we can reconnect after you're done thinking about it. Now they're fully disarmed. They're fully relaxed. And we just teach, hey, before I go, like when you are thinking about it over the next 24 hours, what questions do you feel like might come up just so I'm better prepared for the next call? Now they're going to tell you what the actual objection is, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's one way. So that's one way to get the objection. And now that process works for all objections. But the first thing you need to do is figure out if it's what we call a smoke screen or a real objection. So they might say, this all sounds good, but I need to go talk to my wife. Right. That could be a smoke screen. So we should, that's where we can ask, you know, same thing. It's not a problem. I'd want to talk to my wife too. I know it's a big decision. Um, you know, and then from there you could say, well, I guess like, you know, I know you have to speak to your wife, but would you do it? And then if they say, yes, I would do it, then you can ask them why. And what happens if the wife says no? Right. So now you can, you know, which direction to go. Right. If, the, if it does end up going that route. And so that's just one example, but you need to identify because what if they say, no, I wouldn't do it even if my wife says yes. Well, now you know that there's another, there's an actual objection. Maybe now it's a time objection. Maybe now it's a price objection. And so being able to understand the real objection, I don't believe in a framework where you just give them a rebuttal right off the bat and say, Hey, well, if you're, if this, they say this and you just say this, you need to really dive into what the objection is. And sometimes they have three or four. You just work through your process one by one. This is really cool that, that uh, when you said earlier, um, hey, when you're thinking about this in the next 24 hours, I like how you give them a deadline. I, I love this. <laughs> uh, and also, what other objections will you come up with? I actually use this when people say, I need to speak to my spouse. I said, you know, I totally get it. It's a big decision. Um, if I make a big decision, obviously, I need to talk it over with my spouse as well. If your wife was on the call with us today, though, what kind of concerns do you think she might have or what kind of questions do you think? So when you talk to her, maybe I can answer some of those questions so you can have a more productive conversation. What do you think she would ask me right now? And I get a lot of good questions there. Oh, well, actually, I remember one case. Um, the wife didn't want to sell because it was her parents' house and the parents passed away. And they know logically, they know they want to sell. They have to sell it, right? Like he was very logical. He's like, we need, this is a headache. This is costing us money. We're not in the area. We need to do something with the house. The wife, however, was very emotional and understandably so. She grew up in that house, lots of memories. So that gives you an idea of how to talk because you can't have the same approach. That's why scripts, I like them, but I don't love them. You can't have the same script speak when you speak with a lot and with an emotional seller. You really have to understand what's going on in their life. So when I asked this question, what kind of concerns do you think your wife might have? He really opened up to me. Well, here's the situation. This is her parents' house and uh, all of this. So uh, we, we, we crafted our message to her and to him. It was, it was different, right? Just different pain points overall. So one simple question, and it just opened up so many 
opportunities. That's the difference between someone that's well-trained in sales and someone that's not. The person that's well-trained in sales will get that exactly, where, where eventually they just go, look, here's what's really going on. You'll hear that every time, right? But then just like you just said, look, here's what's really going on. Here's what, here's the deal. Right? And I hear that all the time. And you know, sometimes I'll hear that with my team. I know they did the process well because you don't get that if the seller has resistance. But a lot of times when you, when you really understand sales well, you'll get it. And then these leads that you think have no motivation, they're bad leads, they're retail. They immediately become good leads that you're able to buy at steep discounts because you ask the right questions. So I really love that framework specifically of what questions would they have. And so they'll start telling you more, more like what the actual. Yeah. And, and show what's in it, what's in it for them so that when you have a conversation with your wife, you are better prepared to answer her questions. Right. So I can, while you have me on the phone, I can answer those questions for you so you can better relay them to her. So it kind of like shows what's in it for them and how it's going to benefit them and help them. And it's worked really, really well for me. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you handle this objection or how do you train maybe your sales team? This is something that I'm, I'm training virtual assistants a lot. Um, the million dollar question. And you know, they're being sarcastic, right? Uh, I mean, like, yeah, I want a million dollars for my house. And you know, all the houses in the area go for a hundred, two hundred K. Um, the biggest mistake that I hear sometimes is like, Oh yeah, no worries. I'm like, if you say no worries, the person's going to think this guy knows nothing about my area. No, how there's no way I'm going to get a thousand dollars. I mean, a million dollars for the house. Right. So. How do you, what do you train them to say? How do, how do they handle that objection? So you're saying if, is it a cold call? Is it a, so I would need more context because depending on when, when people say that, like when we were doing SMS, for example, outbound cold, people will just respond, you know, for fun, right? They're just going to respond for fun just to see kind of how you react. Um, so in this context, would it be a cold call? Would it be an SMS, like a cold SMS or would it be, um, someone that's actually booked an appointment? Where in the process would they be where they say this? That might help me with my answer. Yeah, that, that's actually a good point. Yeah, very good point. And I can see how it's going to be different for uh, different scenarios. Let's say this is a cold calling. So you're reaching out to this person for the first time. Mm -hmm. No relationship with that person whatsoever. Yeah, and then you're yeah. out like a million dollars. Yeah. Like you're like, hey, I was just curious if you're open to looking at some options to move on from your property. They're like a million dollars. They just throw it out. I would just say, hey, that's a, you know, that's actually a fairly common response where people just throw out a number for fun. Um, and you know, I'm actually I have a couple of minutes, so I don't have a lot of time here. But if you are looking for some ways to possibly move on from the property, I just would have a, a few questions to see if it is something that we could even buy. And so now you just took back the stage. And so you're qualifying them to see if it's something that you could buy, not that you want something that they have to offer. So realistically, when someone throws out something ridiculous like that, I don't let it phase me. So if you get what I, what I train my team on is if you get reactive, they're going to see that they just impacted you and it lowers your status immediately. And so what you want to do is stay really calm. Yeah, you know, it's actually pretty fairly common where people just, you know, yell out a number. And so just so you know, I actually only have a couple of minutes and I have to go here because I do have an appointment I'm running into. Um, I was actually just giving a call to see if this is something that we could buy. We do have one of our top paying investors buying in this area, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure if we'd be able to buy your property yet. Um, and I certainly don't want to waste any time. So if you're comfortable answering a couple of questions, like I would, I would be able to tell you a little bit more information at the end of the call. 
And then, so you create urgency. You cre- so immediately what what he's what they're trying to do is lower your status. And so when you don't react, you stay. You, can, you know, you increase your status a little bit. And then when you say, "Hey, actually, I only have a couple of minutes," and you stay in a really calm tone, I actually only have a couple of minutes, and you know, I'm not even sure we could buy this house yet. I would actually need to know a little bit more about the property to see if it is something we could buy. Then they're going to immediately start respecting you more because you are, you seem like you're busy. You have a lot going on and you're not in the business to waste anyone's time. And so that just increased your status. And they're going to do one of two things. They're going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to waste your time. I didn't mean, I just, I was just messing around. Didn't mean to waste your time. I'm actually not interested in selling at all. I would never sell this house. Or they're going to tell you that they are interested, but you just, you qualified that lead right away and by increasing your status. So that's a lot of what I work on with my team is, is increasing your status and people will respect you and they'll tell you, they'll tell you the right answer because you sound like you're busy and you, they know that you're not going to waste your time. Your time is valuable. Mm-hmm. I like seeing, you're saying the exact same thing that I, I'm doing too, but with other words. So it's interesting seeing you are, you know, you say increase the status. I like it. I say we're on equal footing. That like, that's what I, when I train my team, I say a lot of the times virtual assistants think they're here and the seller is here. And you can know when they're being overly sweet, overly nice. Like, no guys, you're on equal footing. Like, Hey, you want to sell the house? I want to buy it. Let's see how we can make it happen. Right. I need you. You need me. So at least mentally, mentally think of yourself that way. Like you're holding a bag of money and you're empowered to decide who you're going to give this money to. Right. You're not. If you're not interested, that's perfectly fine. You know, somebody else will be. So it's it's increase the status. I really like how um, th- this just sounds much more empowering than how I say it. You're on equal footing. I, I like that. I'm going to use that too. <laughs> that's really good. The big one takeaway too is what I've found has helped with that is when you say, I'm not sure if this is something that we can even buy. However, one of our top investors is buying in this area. Um, and so what I like to do is create a little bit of FOMO because when I say one of our top paying investors is buying in this area, but I'm not sure if we can buy your house yet. Now, now you pique their interest. Now they're like, well, what is, what do they have? I wonder what they're like. Well, I don't even know if we could buy your house yet. Calm down. We'll get there. You know, it's kind of like, whoa, whoa, like don't, don't rush me with questions. Like I still, I don't even know if I can help you yet. But when you say that they immediately, now you have the thing that they want and they start chasing you. Right. They start coming to you and answering all your questions and they sit back. And then so you wear a different hat. Now you're the doctor and they're the patient again. Whereas it, you know, at the beginning of the call, they try to switch that. So just like a, a little technique I use, I really love It's been working for me really well. What uh, books would you recommend? What what uh, sales programs? How how can we this is such an important life lesson that everyone should know how. What do you do? So I teach a, a program called NEPQ and it's, it's all straight from, from Jeremy Miner. Um, so I actually, I reached out to a couple of people um, and like to give some context, you know, my business, especially when the market, the market they changed a lot in the last 12 months. Right. And so um, I was doing, we were doing about 20 to $30,000 a month in assignments. And I couldn't figure out why I was stuck there. I'd spend more money on marketing and still stay at 20, 30 K a month. And the market was changing. And I started getting, I was started getting desperate, right? I was like, okay, I really, I, I really need to figure something out. I need to find a better way to do this. And so um, that's where I started asking a couple of people, Hey, do you guys know any good sales trainers? I found, I found a ton. And I interviewed a bunch before I found, before I found, before I found any PQ. And what I liked about it 
is all of the things that you're teaching Val with, with increasing your status or staying on the same field and then not sounding salesy, like sounding relaxed at the beginning of the call. That was, that was what resonated with me and that was what they were teaching. And so um, I reached out to Jeremy, I ended up signing up with his team and I, I did an EPQ and that process was actually the one thing that really helped me jump from $30,000 a month to $100,000 a month. And now it's consistent. And so it's predictable. And we have a sales process that we follow. So um, if you, Jeremy has a book, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't read the book. It just came out. Uh, it came out after I had already completed the training. Um, Jeremy has a book, but also that how to win friends and influence people. And then uh, the seven habits of highly effective people. I think those are good books just to understand people, right? Like you understand people, you understand how they work. Those are good books that will help you. Uh, I, I think a lot of the books that come out on sales are a little outdated. If you try them, they're not going to work, uh, especially if they were written in like the 80s, the 90s, even the early 2000s. People are just smarter now because that was before smartphones came out. That was before you see an ad. Every three swipes, there's an ad where someone's got a hook. And then they're selling you something and they're trying to click here. So you have to condition yourself. We've had to condition ourselves to be able to recognize that. Otherwise, we everyone would be broke. It's a good defense mechanism because if you didn't have that defense mechanism, you would buy everything, every single thing you see online. Um, so I found this program that really helps in today's market. And not only, you know, with our generation, but especially Right now, while it's a little bit more difficult to buy properties off market with interest rates increasing to seven, eight percent, I've been able to learn a lot of techniques that have helped me to stay consistent at a hundred thousand dollars a month, even in today's market. So that's uh, that's NEPQ um, seventh level, and and people can can reach out to me on basically any platform for more information. I'll make sure to leave all these details. There's uh, so much we un unco uncovered today. We talked about sales. We talked about objections. We talked about scripts. We talked about virtual assistants, how it all ties together. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I really like what you said is like, you don't have to be born with sales skills. This is something trainable. If you have critical thinking, if you, like this is something trainable, uh, no matter where in the world you are. So if, if anyone is looking to yeah. hire good salespeople, just look for the right personality and then with the right training they can get to where you need them to be this is a huge 100%. revelation for a lot of uh, a lot of people john it's been such a pleasure having you on thank you for this awesome conversation i really enjoyed it i could talk about this all day with you and um really enjoyed it thank you so much for hopping on thank you valve enjoyed it as well <laughs>